0: Years ago when I used to, to be in the workplace, you know, sometimes you, you, there would be a lot of rumours, isn't it? And different things going on in the corridors and this is what the MD said and this is what the MD didn't say and things that affect us as employees. And I'm sure you can relate to it. I mean, just think of this scenario. Suppose someone came up to you in the corridor and said, look, the MD is going to give everybody a once-off bonus. And oh, by the way, you're going to be promoted provided that you meet your sales targets this year. If you heard that and you were sensible, you would want to find out the source of that information and you would want to check out the credentials of the person who had passed on the information, isn't it? If it was some secretary who was renowned for gossiping, then you probably wouldn't take it all that seriously. And in matters of life, day-to-day living, it is important for us to check out credentials and to get things from the horse's mouth. And uh, that particular expression, if you could just change to the next, <laughs> to the next slide there. Um, horse salesmen in the old days were a bit like car salesmen. They were called Honest Joe, but you, you knew that they weren't honest. And so if he said, this horse is five years old, you wanted to check the teeth, because the teeth could tell you whether that horse really was five years old and 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 we want to know from the horse's mouth things that relate to us on a day-to-day basis but how much more so things that are going to affect us for eternity and so the first two verses of Hebrews the writer begins with these very portentous words he says long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets but in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son. And Trevor did an excellent job last week teaching us that the big idea in Hebrews is that Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God. If you want to find out what God is like, if you want to find out what He says, then we need to go to Jesus. And so the two main goals of the letter of Hebrews are, one, to elevate Jesus as superior... We need to get it settled in our minds that Jesus is superior to everything else. There is no one else in the same class as Jesus. And then secondly, to challenge us to remain faithful to Jesus. And I just think that that analogy that Trevor used last week of the bicycle wheel and Jesus being like the hub was such an excellent one. We need to have him central to our lives, but also central to our faith as well. And if everything doesn't connect back to Jesus at the hub, then the room itself is going to be compromised, and our lives will be compromised if we are not connected back to Jesus, who is the hub. And so, folks, I hope, and for those who are exploring faith that your explorations will lead you to an unshakable conclusion that Jesus is everything to us as Christians. If you've heard teachings, folks, that minimize Jesus, his person, his work, or his status, then I would ask you to question those teachings. And that's what Hebrews is challenging us to do. And also, if we happen to be living in a way where we value other things more than Jesus, then we need to be challenged as well to make sure that Jesus is at the center of our lives. Jesus is a treasure beyond worth. He is worth so much more than our comfort. He's worth so much more than money. He's worth so much more than health. He is more valuable than everything. And the writer to Hebrews is telling us today, keep Jesus at the center because everything in our lives is conspiring to remove Jesus from the center. At the time, in the writing, writing to Hebrews, it was convenient for Jewish Christians to go back to the synagogue. Why? Because the Jewish faith was recognized by the Roman Empire, but the Christian faith was outlawed by it. And so if they went back, the synagogue, it would seem as though they were still worshipping the same God, but it would relieve them from the pressure of being Christians. However, it meant that they were no longer putting Jesus at the center. And so, let's begin today and have a look at Jesus. Let's have a look at what kind of a person he is. Let's check out, if you like, the source, the credentials of Jesus. The first thing that the writer claims is that Jesus is the climax of divine communication. And you can see that in verses 1 and verse 2a. Let's read it. Long ago, many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. I read an excellent commentary on Hebrews by a man called George Guthrie. And he tabulates this uh, um, and he contrasts The older communication with the new communication, and you can see it there on the table. Let's just go through each of those things. First of all, the era of the communication. The older communication was in the past. In other words, before the coming of Jesus Christ. Then the newer communication is in these last days. So that is an era that stretches from the birth of Christ right up until the present and going forward into the future. And the writer to Hebrews knew that he was in that era because he wrote in these last days. So he was in that second era. It makes sense for us, since we are living in that era, to pay attention to the newer communication and to interpret the older communication in light of the newer communication. Then what about the recipients? It's going to our forefathers very significant at the time he was writing to Jewish people so that communication was specifically for the forefathers of the Jewish people but the newer communication is to us what about the agents? the revelation in the past came through prophets now when when we think of prophets we immediately think of the major and the minor prophets in the Old Testament but that's a designation that we've come up with What this writer thinks of, or what he has in mind, is anyone in the Old Testament who manifested the will of God, whether it was through actions or symbols or word. And of course, the whole of the Old Testament is full of God speaking to people and through people. And so each of those people carried the mantle, in the author's view, as of prophet. What about the ways? well god revealed himself first of all at many times so let's remember that the old testament revelation is in bits and pieces rather than coming as one complete package and he also did it in many different ways as we know from the old testament we find commands there we find exhortations we find visions we find dreams mighty acts theophanies a still small voice And there's lots more that I haven't even mentioned here today. But God's pinnacle of communication to us as human beings has been brought via Jesus, his son. And therefore, rather than being fragmentary and varied, it may be considered whole, focused in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And it's worth emphasizing that God has not confined his communication only to the teaching and the words of Jesus, although those are vitally important. We must also take into account his person, his character, his actions, and his words, and so on. Now, whenever I say now, it means there's going to be a pause, so I can have a drink of water. So the writer has claimed that Jesus is the climax, he's at the pinnacle of God's revelation to us. And we learnt earlier on that it's good to check the source, isn't it? And to check the credentials of the source. And So that's exactly what the writer is going to do now as we continue in these verses. He's going to be talking about the person, the work and the status of the son, of Jesus. Let's have a look at the first thing which has to do with his status. Jesus, he appointed the heir of all things. Jesus Christ has immense status because he is the appointed heir of God's estate. And what is God's estate? It's everything. It is all things. So when Jesus was raised from the dead, his inheritance was inaugurated, but it's going to be completed when he returns to come the second time. The communicators think that the author had Psalm 2 verse 8 in mind here because he then quotes Psalm 2 verse 7 directly in verse 5 just after today's passage. Let's have a look at it. Psalm 2 verses 7 to 8. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. So Jesus' credentials, they're starting to look pretty impressive. He has this amazing status as the, as the heir of all things. He also is the creator of the world. That's his work. This is the work that he's done, through whom he also created the world. We see that in verse 2. This is confirmed in 1 Corinthians verse eight, uh, chapter 8 verse 6, which says, Yet for us there is one God the Father from whom all things and for whom sorry from whom all things and for whom we exist in other words he is the source of everything then it says and one lord Jesus Christ through whom are all things and through whom we exist god is the source of all things and jesus is the agent by which he is created. There's some more evidence up there. Just have a look at 1 Colossians uh, verse 16. 1 verse 16. It says, For by him all things were created, referring to Jesus in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, he's covering all the bases, all things were created through him and for him. What incredible work he did. In the beginning John 1, it says, verse 1, the Word, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Brothers and sisters, when you think of that work that Jesus did, it also tells us that if he created everything then he was not a created being. He existed, he had life before all of this was created. That tells us something pretty significant about Jesus. He came as one person with two natures. He was fully God, he was fully man. He had a divine nature, he had a human nature, but he wasn't just a man because he existed before everything had been created so he's the heir of all things amazing status the creator of the world amazing work what about his person he is the radiance and exact representation of god that's what it says there in verse 3 and what the writer is doing here is he's, he's trying to find two metaphors to make the closest possible identification between Jesus and God. So the first one, he's saying just think of the sun being like God. Well, Jesus is the radiance. He is the blinding light of God's glory. So when you look at a bright source or when you glance up at the sun in the sky, the source of the light and the light itself are actually indiscernible. They're that closely related. If you see one, you see the other. So that's the first metaphor. The second metaphor is that he is the exact imprint. Now, that Greek word imprint used to refer to a tool that was used to carve an indentation in a signet ring. And then as time went on, the word came to refer to the actual indentation itself. So what he's saying is that Jesus is the exact imprint of the Father. It's like that ring going into the wax and making an impression there. On the basis of that, folks, if Jesus is the exact representation of God's nature and character, why would we want to examine anybody else to find out something about God? You know, Jesus makes God visible to us. He said, I, you know, I've come so that you would get to know what the Father is like. If you want to know what the Father is like, look at me. If you want to hear what the Father is saying, listen to what I have to say. Jesus is the radiance and the exact representation of God. Fourth thing, he is the upholder of the universe. We come back now to something else, some other work that he does. It says he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Now, this is not like Atlas. I don't know um, whether whether you know about Atlas carrying the world on his shoulders. I remember my dad telling me about him and thinking, wow, (laughs) what an impressive bloke. But Jesus is not like Atlas. He's not sort of carrying the earth. It's more in a managerial sense. So so God hasn't created this universe and wound it up like a clock just to carry on ticking under its own steam. No, Jesus is intimately involved in the day-to-day management and working of the universe. He is managing it and involved in it and directing it so that everything works out according to the plans and the purposes of God. Jesus, he is the one who upholds the universe by his power. Colossians 1.17 says, and he is before all things. That confirms what we said earlier, didn't we, about the pre-existence of Christ. He's before all things because he was there before he created them. And in him, all things hold together. I love that. Remind yourself of that tomorrow morning when you're driving to work and you feel like things are out of control. Everything is being held together in Jesus Christ. This is his work. Some more work that he's done. The purification of sins. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power after making purification for sins. Notice that it says there that it's Jesus who makes purification for sins. Folks, there is no way that we can purify ourselves from sin and from the things that we've done wrong. And we all know that we've done it. Whether we're judging ourselves by our own standards or by God's standards that are even higher. Even by our own standards, we know that we've slipped up. We need purification. If we're going to come into the presence of a perfect, holy God, we need to be purified. And it's Jesus who does that purification. Imagine what life would be like if we hadn't been purified by Jesus. We wouldn't be able to come into the presence of God. Then, let's go back to his status again. You see he's hopping from the person to the work to the status. Have a look there at verse 3. It says, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. If you were a king in ancient times and you wanted to give person a place of ultimate authority, of ultimate power, of ultimate honor, then you would say, come and sit at my right hand. It was a position of extreme status. There is no one second to Jesus when it comes to honor, status, and authority. And it's from that position of honor, authority, and status that he manages the universe. And for that reason, he is also superior to the angels. And this is the last thing that the writer tells us. Having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Remember that a name represents a person's status. It represents their authority. So he's been given a name that is superior to angels. But, but if you're like me, you're just wondering what's all this about angels and we're going to hear a lot about angels in, in chapter one and chapter two what is it about angels well the, the jewish teachers when they were teaching jewish tradition they taught that the words of god were delivered to moses at the top of mount sinai by angels so in a sense the angels were the messengers they were the mediators between god and moses And that teaching was based on Deuteronomy 33, uh, verse 2. You can see it on the screen. The Lord came from Sinai and dawned from Seir upon us. He shone forth from Mount Paran, which is another name for Mount Sinai. He came from the ten thousands of holy ones with flaming fire at his right hand. So God's angels were like mediators and messengers. And we see that role being fulfilled out in different places in the Bible. Remember, was an angel that came to Mary, angel that came to Zechariah. Uh, there was one that went to Daniel as well. And so by saying that Jesus is superior to angels, he's establishing that Jesus is a superior messenger. He's a superior mediator to angels. This is very important for us, folks. We live um, in a country where many people, uh, their, their beliefs have been affected by African traditional religion. And in African traditional religion, Muari is distant. You, you, you can't come close to him. The only way that you can come into his presence is via your ancestors. So it's not really ancestor worship as such, it's more approaching your ancestors and keeping them on sides so that they will represent you to God in an accurate way and vice versa. Folks, we don't need to do that. If we are Zimbabweans, um, we don't need to turn to our ancestors to be our mediators. And then there's people that have come from a background, perhaps from the Catholic Church as well, where very much... Mary is seen as a mediator between us and Jesus. Folks, Jesus is the mediator. He's the one who represents God to us. And don't get me wrong, I think Mary is amazing. You would have heard my sermon about Mary and that turning point sermon that we did before, before Christmas. I love Mary. I just love the person what she was. What? A uh, yeah, Oh, we'll be back again what a fantastic example (laughs) so folks let's let's not get stuck let's not think for example that you need to get Ian to pray for you in order for your prayers to be heard in heaven of course it's great for us all to be praying as a family I love to pray for people but I'm not the one with the special channel to God that's not true it's not some super special person No, we just come to God. We walk into his presence because we've been purified of our sins. Jesus has made a way for us, and we chat to God straight off. So Jesus is the climax. He's at the pinnacle of God's communication to us. And his credentials are incredible. They are superlative. Nobody in the same class as him. He's the heir of all things. He's the creator of the world. He's the radiance and exact representation of God. If we want to find out what God is like, let's find out what Jesus is like. He's the upholder of the universe. God is not watching us from a distance. Do you remember that song? God is watching us from a distance. It's not true. He's intimately involved. Jesus is holding everything together. If he stopped holding everything together for an instant, the whole universe would collapse. He's the purification for our sins. Don't try and work to get saved. No, we work because we are saved and because we love Jesus. But don't work to get saved. The starting point is that Jesus has made purification for sins. You're already saved. Work because you love God and other people. But don't don't try and make purification for your own sins. It just doesn't work. He's at God's right hand. Isn't that lovely? It says in the Bible that we are in Christ and Christ is in us. That's how it's that's why the writer to Ephesians Paul could say that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. Isn't that incredible? That is your spiritual status. If you are in Christ, you are seated with him in heavenly places and that's why in Colossians Paul says don't fix your eyes on the things of the world, fix your eyes on the things of heaven. He's at God's right hand, and we are in him, and he is in us. And then lastly, he's superior to angels. Don't go to any other mediator. Go straight to God. Go straight to Jesus. Pray to him. Shall we pray? Father God, what a messenger you have sent us. (laughs) We're so humbled that you would have chosen to... To speak to us in this way and you could have done it in, in other ways but you actually became flesh jesus you, you became a human being to make it possible for us to relate to you and to to find out what the father is like and we're so grateful for this and i just pray for every person here i pray for those who haven't heard this kind of a sermon before i i pray that that you would make a commitment to find out about Jesus, to find out about what he said, what he did, so that you can get an accurate representation of the Father who is in heaven. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for coming, everybody. Come and join us for a cup of tea across, or coffee across at the, the coffee station.